0: Do you own a knife? Well, you'd better treat it with care. Treat it kindly and with compassion. You can never tell about knives. Yours might turn on you. When you least expect it. Stand by for adventure. At this point, time is allowed for the local announcer to read the commercial message, which can very well be tied in with each particular story or with the general theme of the program. Stand By for Adventure is a new radio program series that recreates the art of storytelling. The characters are four friends who gather together, each to recount his own adventures. They are Dr. Juan Avillo, a South American scientist and philosopher who has studied at the Sorbonne and Oxford and Santiago. He is cultured, traveled, and subtle. He sees more in a simple situation than most other people see, and can tell it to you better. He is intrigued by the metaphysical and the occult. Major Gordon, a retired army officer and soldier of fortune, he has campaigned on the side of justice and truth since the Spanish-American War, sometimes as a soldier in the field, and sometimes as a special agent. His knowledge of international intrigue is thorough and discerning. He loves to tell stories of army adventure. Richard Moore, Newspaperman adventurer who uses his his newspaper credentials as a springboard to fascinating experiences. Moore's special hobby is crime and crime detection and his newspaper work has brought him in contact with the world's most notorious criminals and most unusual crimes. He adds salt to situations when he tells his tales. And Captain Quigley, retired merchant skipper from down east whose love of the sea is practically hereditary he is familiar with the seven seas as he is with the water in his bath the captain has a tangy way of telling stories and we wonder sometimes how much of his tongue is in his ruddy cheek each story by one of these characters constitutes a complete program The house you're about to enter is large and comfortable. Come along now, for they're already assembled before the fireplace. The tall man with the blue eyes is Major Gordon. The man seated directly opposite him is Richard Moore, journalist, adventurer. The third man reclining on the couch immediately in front of the fireplace is Captain Quigley, retired skipper of a fishing schooner. The fourth of the quartet is the host, Dr. Juan Avillo, scientist and philosopher. Educated in England and France. Traveled, cultured, subtle. Quiet now and listen, for the Major has stood up and is pointing to something above the fireplace. Uh, That uh, stiletto, Doctor, it's very intriguing. Oh, yes. I will take it down and show it to you. Oh, thank you.
1: That's one thing we didn't have aboard ship, Major. I never remember a stiletto aboard a schooner.
0: Captain Quigley's right, Major. Stilettos are generally found in sort of exotic places. Certainly not aboard the clean machinery of a ship. I presume the Major has a special purpose in asking me to scale the wall for my stiletto? Of course. Uh, It reminds me of a knife I have. Uh. Yes, yes, it does. What are you getting at, Major? Well, now you give me a moment to get comfortable, and I'll tell you. Well, it's about a knife. I joined the British Army in 1914, anxious to be in the fight. I was given the rank of captain and was assigned to the intelligence forces of General Moore. The first big job that lay ahead was the retaking of the city of Baghdad. It went well. By March of 1916, we were in the suburbs. I remember that night quite well. I had been separated from headquarters and found myself roaming around the suburbs of Baghdad in complete confusion. All of a sudden, I tripped and fell heavily to the ground. I sat upright and looked about to see what had caused me to fall. And then... I saw it. I had stumbled over a knife, a knife that was dug snugly into the ground, bearing only the hilt above the earth. I grasped the hilt in my hand and tugged, but I couldn't pull the knife from the earth. Then I heard a cry. For the first time I looked about me. I was seated in front of a house half demolished by gunfire. The cry came again from the yard behind the ruined house. I groped my way to the stricken man guided by his guttural wail, and found him buried to his chin his accent was foreign persian i would gather and he shouted help me help me and you will be rewarded ten thousand times i was at his side in an instant in faltering tones he explained that he was buried alive by the explosion of a high caliber shell i dug furiously at the ground i hit at it and hammered at it and cursed at it but it seemed as if some angry god had sealed the dirt around the man The old Persian spoke with difficulty. My son, the knife. Go get the knife. You will find it in front of the house. My only impulse was to obey. In the self-same spot at the front of the house, the handle of the knife peeked up at me. I expected the same resistance as before. But to my surprise, it moved easily and gently was back at the old man's side. Dig with it, my son. Dig with it. The blade was sharp, and the blade was long, and the earth gave way beneath it like like wheat to a harvester. And soon I lifted the man from the yawning cavity. My son, he said, you have given me back my life, and I must reward you. I will give you the knife with which you dug me from the ground. It is my knife and my good companion, but I will give it to you. Take it and keep it, for it will be your servant and your protector forever. Well, old man, I said, are you trying to tell me that this knife is enchanted? If so, why didn't it save your life? He patted my arm. My son, he replied, you forget, don't you, that it was the knife that tripped you. The distant booming of cannon reminded me that I couldn't tarry. I placed the knife in the sheath at my belt and was off. By the next afternoon, I was now well in the city on a dirty, deserted street filled only with the rubble of war. All at once, A sniper's bullet whistled past my head. I dropped prone, letting the knife roll through my fingers. The street was not deserted after all. Somewhere in the row of houses 30 yards from me, an enemy soldier was taking aim. Then, with a burst that was loud as it was sudden, a stray shell fell into the street. The concussion threw the rubble in the street up into the air. Broken pots and wheels came down with a clang when the dust had settled, I looked behind me. The blood swelled in my throat. Yet I was not mistaken. At the foot of the house across the way lay the still body of the sniper. I crawled up to him and turned him over. And then I knew why he was dead. The knife was in his throat. The thought of it made me sweat. I began to reason with myself. Obviously, the concussion threw all loose things in the street up into the air. It threw the knife up too but how was I to explain the occult accuracy with which it spiraled through the air, thrusting itself into the man's throat so securely, snugly, inexorably? My fingers were not very nimble as I withdrew the knife from the sniper's throat. However, I continued my journey. When night caught up with me, I was very tired as I had not slept in 40 hours. I will never know exactly how it happened. Someone moved stealthily behind me and had given me a glancing blow on the head. When I came to... I was in a dimly lit room. After I had organized my mind, I realized that I was tied to a chair. Before long, the only door to the room opened and a fat little man came in. Even in the dim light, he had the dark features of a native. He spoke surprisingly good English. The two of us are alone in this house, he said. You are tied to a chair. Your revolver and the knife you carry are resting comfortably on the floor, out of reach. You are impotent. What do you want, I asked very simply replied you are an intelligence officer i have in my possession documents of the british army but they are in code i want you to give me the key to that code i will give you 10 minutes to think it over and then i will be back he turned and walked into the next room from the first i could tell that he was uneasy because i heard him pacing back and forth back and forth in the other room finally he reached for the knob of the door and opened it As he did so, he glanced at his feet, at the threshold of the door. He began to back away on his heels, for there, at his feet, standing on its point, was the knife. For a moment it stood there, appraising him, and then it hopped one step toward him. He turned in confusion and began to run. After a dozen steps, he paused, trying to reason with himself. No, no, it cannot be. It is only a knife. A knife cannot run after me like a one-legged man. A knife is only steel and wool. But the knife kept hopping after him in short, deadly, graceful arcs. He ran from the room into the next. He paused a moment, then listened. It was still after Ping. 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 He could hear the sound of the blade, even as I did, every time it dug into the floor. But now, as I discovered later, he found himself in a room almost in the center of the house. A room that had no exits, no windows, no doors, save the door through which he came in. His bulging, beady eyes peered down the corridor. Yes, he could see it, hopping closer and closer and closer to him. He slammed the door shut and bolted it. Now, now I am safe, I heard him mutter. Now I am safe. And then... (sighs) He heard a cutting sound, a sawing sound, a sound that ripped and tore and splitted. The knife was cutting through the door. Soon there was a hole large enough to fit a man's arm through, and the gleaming blade slipped into the room to land upright on the floor. The fat man pressed his weight into the wall. The knife stood there almost complacently, and then it began to sway. The fat man began to whine. Then he began to beg and cajole and threaten. And then he whimpered and cried and shouted, and finally he reasoned. But the knife did not stop swaying. It was over in a flash. I could hear whistling sounds as the knife flew through the air. And then the grotesque gurgle as the knife pinned the fat man to the wall by his throat. The cool blade had drawn the hot blood from his fat throat. Three days later, British military police entered the house and rescued them. The stiff body of the native hung like a plump pullet from the wall. Who threw the knife, they wanted to know. All I could answer was no one did. No one threw the knife. Well, gentlemen, that's my story.
1: That's my story. Mm-hmm. Quite a tale, Major, quite a tale. Yes, quite a tale. But it's got me worried. You
0: worried, Captain?
1: Well, I've got an old knife, aboard ship. And I haven't been treating it so well. You think maybe I ought to (laughs) clean the rust (laughs) off it?
0: (laughs) At the close of the dramatized portion of the program, time is allowed for a commercial message from the local announcer. This, too, can be tied in with the story just told or with the general theme or given straight. This series of stories told by the four friends dealing with adventure, crime detection, the occult, and fantastic tales of the sea is available in 52 quarter-hour programs. Each program is a complete and separate story, ready for broadcast with only the local commercials to be added. The scripts are by well-known radio writers, selected by a board of experts. Complete promotion and publicity aids are sent along to the sponsor. A preview program is presented as a bonus this program introducing each of the four friends to the radio audience thus building audience interest in the characters and at the same time tying in the local announcer with the other talent Delightful evening. Right, right. The good morning. Good morning. Good four morning. friends are bidding each other good night. Good night, Captain. Good, good night. night. Good, night. Mr. Moore. good, good night. night. Now the door has closed. Dr. Avillo is alone once again. The blade of his knife glimmers in a firelight and brings back faint echoes of Major Gordon's voice. No doubt the doctor is thinking of the story of his own, but the evening grows late, and he will soon bank the fire and be off to bed. He will hold his story until the next time when the four friends meet again and talk again and invite you to stand by for adventure. Stop. Don't move. I want to talk to you. Yes, you who remain in your hot little rooms, never venturing out beyond your neighborhood. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of the strange and turbulent things that happen in distant lands, in places outside your own ken? For example, are you afraid of the sounds that a South American swamp makes? Yes, the swamp does make noise, you know, a selfish noise, a sucking noise, as if it were anxious to draw you to it and hold you there forever. Or is it the sound of a... The sound of a knife whisking across the room in a squalid house in Baghdad? Or is it the sound of the wind? as it cuts through the snowy Caucasus, kept company by... a single rifle shot of a guerrilla fighter. Now, come, tell me. What are you afraid of that keeps you in your hot little room? Oh, you're you're not afraid at all. It's just, just that you haven't the time to travel. You haven't the time to become mixed up in some adventure way off in Mesopotamia or Ecuador. Or even the county jail. Well, I can understand you're not having time, but you don't have to travel, you know, to live through these adventures, for they'll be brought right into your hot little room, your safe little room by means of your radio. So listen to a familiar voice, a voice you know well, a voice you can trust while he tells you how you can stand by for adventure. You there, striking a match. I warn you to be careful and keep your eye on a flame. A flame is not flame alone, you know. A flame has a spirit and a personality of its own. It might jump off that matchstick and leap across the room with no good purpose in mind. Did you say that was hard to believe? Well, perhaps. Dr. Juan Avillo can convince you better than I. Como están mis amigos? This is Dr. Juan Avillo speaking. I hope you weren't taken aback by that strange introduction. And if I were you, I wouldn't ignore it either. For an unusual thing happened to me, which I will tell you about in this Stand By for Adventure series. The story of the flame spirit. I can even remember it now. I was standing in a jungle clearing with a water hose in my hand. This flame thing that looked like a man was rushing toward me. I played a stream of water on him and he fell to the ground. I kept the water running until every crackling tongue of flame was silent. And then I rushed to the spot where he fell. I was sure it was a trick that this flame thing was only a man who was wearing asbestos clothing so that fire would not harm him. I was sure that I would find his flesh and blood body on the grass. But when I came to the spot, he was not there. The flame spirit was flame and flame alone. And what I saw was only the charred grass, charred where he fell, the of a man. That is one of the many experiences I had and which I shall tell you about. Most of my stories will concern themselves with the occult and the metaphysical, for the worlds beyond our own have always fascinated me. I don't ask you to take my word for all I tell you. I only ask you to remember that I am an educated man. I was educated in Oxford and the Sorbonne. I am cultured, traveled, and, if you will pardon the cliché, sophisticated as well. I am the host of these intimate gatherings of my three friends and myself. We are very good friends, you know, and uh, not young anymore. We enjoy these meetings together, reliving the past, breathing youth into old memories. I always make my friends comfortable. I assure you that you, too, shall be made comfortable if you care to listen in on our stories. Now, perhaps you should like to hear from Major Gordon. Arnold Moss is standing by to introduce him. Remember the last night you couldn't sleep? Remember the way you tossed and turned and perspired? Well, suppose you couldn't sleep for a week, or a month, or a year. Suppose you couldn't sleep forever. Major Gordon knew such a man, so stand by for adventure. Hello, everyone. Yes, it's true I knew such a man, a man who couldn't sleep. My experiences as a soldier of fortune and army officer have thrown me into contact with many unusual people. I met this man in question while I was attached to the Chinese army as a liaison officer, and I learned later that he was directly responsible for the death of an arrogant enemy commander who had conquered a territory in which this man lived. Shortly afterwards, this enemy commander began finding poison in his food. Snakes under his pillow. Time bombs in his closet. No matter where he turned, no matter what he did, he always discovered some clever device to take his life. A dozen times a day, he narrowly escaped death. In despair, he once shouted, What sort of a man is this that haunts me? How does he get the time to plan these fiendish schemes? He must never sleep. How true. His adversary never slept. In a duel between a normal man and one who doesn't sleep, what chance has the normal man? The man who doesn't sleep has so much time. Well, that is one of many stories I shall tell you in this Stand By for Adventure series. Stories of armies in the field and heroic civilians who fought side by side with their soldiers for liberty and security. But now I think I ought to relinquish this microphone to Arnold Moss, who will introduce Mr. Richard Moore. Take a man an old man, and place him in a cell. Lock the door tightly behind him. Make sure the iron door is bolted. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that the sickly old man could do no one any harm. He looks powerless behind those bars. But don't fool yourself. Someone will die before morning. Richard Moore knows more about it than I, so stand by for adventure. This is Richard Moore speaking. I've had a pretty full career as a newspaper man. I guess my press past has been more a ticket to adventure than anything else. But the funny thing is, no matter where my syndicate sends me, I invariably get mixed up in a murder. (laughs) Now, don't get the wrong idea there. I mean, I don't commit murders. I just stumble over murderers, like the case just presented. You see, they had locked this old man in his cell after a futile attempt to question him. He was already suspected of one murder. In an effort to learn something, a police officer posed as a criminal and was locked up in the same cell. The old man did not move from his bunk all night, yet morning found the police officer dead. Poisoned. They searched the old man, but to no avail. He had been carefully examined before he entered the cell, too. Then, uh, I volunteered to spend the night in the cell. I had an idea. And my hunch was correct. In the middle of the night, I was awakened by the patter of tiny feet. But, uh, I tell the complete story in the program called uh, Death is My Cellmate. So there's no point telling it to you now. Well, I guess I've hogged this stage long enough. I'm sure you'll want to hear what Captain Quigley has to say. As usual, Arnold Moss does the honors in his own inimitable way. What sort of noise does a sea monster make? No, no, that's a boat. No, 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 no. That's a train. Of course not. Anyone would know that that's an automobile horn. I guess none of us has quite the imagination of Captain Quigley, so we'll just have to be patient and stand by for adventure.
1: Now, listen here, young fella. If you're insinuating that my imagination is a mite too strong, let it pass. Hello, folks. This is Captain Quigley talking. No other... Now, I'm just as skeptical a man as any afloat or on land. And I don't believe things easy myself. But there's no sense avoiding the issue. I really did see that sea monster. Lady monster, it was, on account of no whiskers on her face. And I'll tell you something else, too, about that monster that would be hard to believe. That is, if I hadn't seen it myself. That sea monster was cultured. Yes, sir. Cultured. Now, I don't suppose they have colleges for sea monsters, but this one could read. Yep. First she read over my shoulder, but that wasn't so comfortable, so I propped up the paper on a rag, so as I could read one side and she the other. Particular sea monster, she was, too. Didn't want to read the jokes, only the editorials. Do I hear somebody raising any doubts? Well, I can't blame you if you are. I'm only giving half the story, mind you. When you hear all of it, you will realize how true it is. I'll be able to convince you in just the time it'll take to tell the story of... The cultured monster. And that ain't the only story I'll tell either. I once had a very unusual boat. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but this boat would never react properly to having her machinery oiled unless the oil had a vegetable base. You see, the boat was a vegetarian. Well, I could go on this way all day. But I guess it's time to say goodbye now. So here's that skeptical young feller again.
0: And that's a thumbnail radio sketch of all four friends. There is dr juan avillo famous south american scientist and philosopher and Mm. major gordon retired army officer and soldier of fortune and richard moore correspondent adventurer and finally
1: captain quigley
0: merchant mariner who sailed the seven seas these four friends meet often at the home of dr juan avillo when they meet again and talk again they invite you to listen in and stand by for adventure